All right, well, I'm excited. This morning we are finishing the book of Colossians, which we've been working our way through uh, for quite a while now. Back in April, uh, I was interviewing at this church. For those of you who don't know, I've been on staff at this church for about six weeks now, uh, and that's going to factor in significantly to what we're talking about this morning as we unpack the end of the book of Colossians. But I remember one of the great blessings uh, of the interview process for me uh, was, role, uh, was Joel and Randy assigning me a text to preach on uh, rather than just, because you know, part of the process was I was gonna preach here. Some of you were there uh, for that. And it wasn't just, a, well, just bring whatever you wanna preach on, but it was, we want you to preach on this because it's a part of our Colossians series. And we want you to continue. And the verse was funny, actually. The verse was, you know, this is my, hi, how I am, Russ. Nice to meet you. Um, it was, put away anger, wrath, and malice, uh, was my text. That was it. And so, um, so to be here now, six weeks in to this call, uh, and be closing the series that I jumped into back in April when the Lord was... Um, uh, moving some pieces around the board and the kingdom and in my life uh, is very fitting for what we're talking about today. It's how God works in time and space. We're coming to the end of the book of Colossians. And if you've read some of Paul's letters, uh, you, or you know that often at the end of them is a section of greetings where Paul is saying, tell so-and-so we said hello and that we're praying for them and I've got these guys with me and they send their greetings and, and this guy over here, this is what he's doing now. He wanted me to let you know. You know what I'm talking about? That sex, those sections at the end. And if you're, you know, a Bible in a year person or things like this, you come to these passages of Scripture and you read them dutifully, but you probably aren't saying, that was, the most, that was the most wonderful devotional reading I've ever had in my life, you know, where I learned about Aristarchus. Uh, you know, it, it's, it, but it's these lists, and they're important for us. And the reason that they're important for us is because what Paul is showing us is something that we all inherently know is true of our own lives, and that is that we walk a road in community, whether we want to or not. Um, we live in community. There are people who shoulder the load with us, who walk alongside of us, people who help us tremendously, and as we will see today, people who also just break our hearts um, in, the way that we, in the way our relationships turn and twist and sometimes fall apart. And yet, when you look at the way that the Lord is fulfilling the great commission to take the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's at the end of the letters where we see the cast of characters that the Lord is bringing together to do that very thing, which incidentally was essential for the gospel making its way to Nashville in the summer of 2010. So it's a story that's unfolding. So we're going to read the last section of the book of Colossians. And <laughs> does anybody want to try it? Because there's a bunch of Greek names. Otherwise, I'll do it. Let me just do it. Let me just do this. Um, this is from Colossians 4, and this is how the book ends. It's verses 7 through 18. Paul writes, Tychicus will tell you about all the news about me. He's a dear brother a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you might know about our circumstances and may be encouraged, and your hearts may be encouraged. He's coming with Onesimus, 
our faithful and dear brother who is one of you, and they will tell you everything that is happening here. So far, what he said is, Tychicus and Onesimus are going to be the men who show up holding the letter of Colossians and the book of Philemon as well. So that's what he said so far. He continues, My fellow prisoner, so Paul's still in prison, my fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, meaning Epaphras is originally from Colossae, and a servant of Jesus Christ sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. And our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea, which is the book of Ephesians. And tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of God. Pray with me. Lord, would you take us not just into the stories of the people listed in this text, but would you then take us as an extension into our own stories and the people at the end of the epistles of our lives, the people that are uh, filling out the picture of, of the road that we walk. Uh, Father, thank you that you have not called us to walk alone. Um, and Father, thank you that there is mercy and grace when we stumble and fall. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Paul here, he's not just listing his best friends. This isn't just uh, me and these guys, we get together and we hang out and I love them and I want you to know about them. But he's talking about people who are on a mission with him. That part of what defines their community is that it is a missional community, if I can use that word. You know what I mean? They're committed to a similar objective and a similar goal, which is, in a small way, the proclamation of the gospel throughout the Roman Empire, but in a much bigger way is the glory of God. And that's the road that they walk and that they serve. And the reason they're together is because they're joined in this mission. And we have people like that in our lives. And I want to tell you about some of mine as a way of giving you a little bit of what would be in the greetings at the end of my epistle so far. I want to tell you about uh, really four people, but three, three instances. My friend Joe, my best friend in high school and college, died this past week of cancer. And it was the kind of cancer that, by the time they found it, they were using words like experimental treatment and inoperable. And soon, not long after that, they had graduated to words like pain management and hospice. And it just happened fast. And he's gone. 
But he was my best friend in a season of life when having a best friend and knowing who your best friend was counted for something. We hung out together all the time. You know, we invented ways of hanging out. We were in that window of life where we were still kind of in school, but kind of transitioning out of the nest, and the good folks at the Department of Revenue had granted us driver's licenses, and we had cars, and we were able to just kind of do what we wanted to do. Oh, and by the way, we had also come to know Christ. And so we were walking this road of faith and encouraging each other and wrestling through the things that 18 to 22-year-olds wrestle with in life and identity and struggle and joy and enthusiasm and excitement. And I just loved Joe. I just loved him. I loved him. He was such an encouragement to me. He was one of the very first people to ever not just believe in but articulate his belief that God would call me to be a pastor. And he would tell me that. And on one occasion, he gave me uh, this Bible, which I I saw on the shelf of my office this week, and I I pulled it down. This is from him. And he inscribed on the front a message to me. I was 19 years old when he wrote these words. Russ, I give this to you, knowing you will be faithful to live it out and to live out the call God has placed on your life to minister the love of Jesus to lost and hurting people everywhere you go. I hope this is helpful. I'm thankful I can call you brother, brother. You're a blessing, love in Christ, Joe. And all week, you know what I've been thinking? I wish you could have known Joe. You would have loved him. And I know you would have loved him because everybody loved him. He was just that guy. You know, that you'd see across the room and you'd think, Joe's here. But why do I want you to know him? Why Midtown 12 South? Why this community of faith? Because, friends, you're the ones I'm walking through life with right now. You know? And I want you to know my friend Joe because you would have loved him and I would have loved for him to have known you because for the last six weeks, you have been pouring into me. Somebody else I want you to know about. I'd love for you to get to know better. Matt Bigger and Lauren Kinzer. They're here, part of 12 South, sitting right over there. The first assignment that Joel gave me, Joel Walker, uh, my boss and my friend, was spend time getting to know people make appointments with people, get coffee, you know, all this stuff. And that first week and a half that I was here was just, it was like a drink of water from a fire hose. My family was in another state, my kids, my wife, you know, I was crying myself to sleep every night, loving every minute of being here. But at the same time, it was just, it was hard. It was what I'd call good, hard, good that week. And so, When I get into that mode where I'm just barely holding it together, which I was then and in a way am right now, I just kind of put my head down and go, you know, just set them up, knock them down, make the appointments, you know. We stood over there in the corner and I made coffee appointments with people after a Sunday service. Matt and Lauren were one of them. Later that week, we met at a 
Starbucks, and it was kind of at the end of the day, and I was tired, and we were just kind of doing what, what I've been doing. It's my, here's my story. What's your story? What do you do? What do I? And then at some point when we were kind of winding down, they looked at each other like they had had a conversation before we started. And they said, we, we, we want to pray for you. And it was like, it was like the big handbrake on my life. They just kind of pulled it and stopped. And they just talked to the Father about me for a while. And it was like the Lord just wrapped his arms around me and quieted me and set his affection on me and affirmed for me, it's good for you to be here. These are good days. What Joe believed, I'm still doing that. And then last week, I was at downtown, you know, Randy went to Africa and fell off a safari truck, and next thing I know, I'm serving communion, right, at downtown, <laughs> which I've never done before. Um, but it was a joy to do and to be a part of that and to be a part of that community. And so I was at the kneelers there and, and serving the communion, and my line kind of dissipated. And so I went around to the kneelers and knelt to be served communion. I didn't know exactly how all that was going to play out. I just figured somebody would see me. And, and Joel Walker sees me, grabs the cup and the bread, comes over to me, but instead of saying, the body and blood of Christ broken for you, he kind of sets the stuff in front of me, puts his arm around me. If you've ever had Joel put his arm around you, you know what I'm talking about. And he just leans in, nose to nose, and he prays over my family for like two minutes, over everything, over my kids, my wife, the move, God's call, the gospel, Midtown, just all this stuff. It is good to know Joel Walker. And for those of you who know him, you know what I mean. And for those of you who don't, I commend him to you. And that's what Paul's doing. He's commending the people who have walked a road with him to another group of people who have walked a road with him. And he's saying we share a mission that is important. They've encouraged each other. They've struggled together. They've had a lot of fun together. These people in the greetings, you know because we're human that they had meals together that they talked about months later. You remember that meal? That was awesome. Do you remember that time we got beat up and thrown in prison? That was not awesome. But these are the stories, right, that they share, that they're unpacking together. And what you see in Paul's language and what I want to challenge you with, because what I'm hoping you're doing right now is you're filling in the end of the epistle of your life so far and you're thinking, who are they? Who are the people that I would have to say? These are the ones that have walked with me. These are the ones I want you to know. What Paul is showing us is that the people in his life are not just props around him, but their infrastructure for him. There is not a clear line where Paul ends and they begin. They're part of the story. In Psalm 16, which is a beautiful passage of Scripture, David says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. 
And as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. And David right there is being a guy. You know what he means when he says, as for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones. The saints in the land are his friends. And before the Lord, he's saying, I love those guys. I love those guys. And it's there in the canon of Scripture, this beautiful exaltation of praise in thinking about the people who populate his life. We weren't meant to walk through life alone. We were meant to walk in community. When God made Adam, he said, it's not good for you to be alone. And so what did he do? He made Eve. Was that the answer to the problem of the aloneness of man? It was a partial answer, right? Because neither was it good for Adam and Eve to be alone. And so God said, make people, right? I mean, in effect, you know, fill the earth, subdue it. Why? Because we don't just need a friend. We need a community. We need people that we live with and that we walk alongside of. People that are there, that are part of our lives, that are part of the infrastructure of who we are. We're, not, we're social beings. We're made to relate. We're made for companionship. We're made to walk through life. I've taken time this morning to tell you some of these stories of Joe and Matt and Lauren and Joel because these are some of the excellent ones in my life, you know? They are. They've pressed in to God's call. They've walked part of this mission with me, and they've shown me clearly in their own ways that the source of the passion and love that they have for me is that they love the Lord, and they care about what he's doing, not just in me, but in us collectively. But it's a messy thing to do this. We know this, but it's a messy thing. And this is one of the beauties of Scripture. A lot of times I think we read the Bible and we, and we think this is just God's way of saying, if you want to straighten up and fly right, just follow the rules in this book. But you get to the end of Paul's letter and you see some of these names and while many of them we don't know a lot about, some of them we know, we know more of the story from other places in Acts and in the other letters. We know some of these people. We know some of the relationship that they had with Paul. I want to unpack a few of them and I want to ask you, who is your corollary? Who in your life is in this category? Okay? One I want to name is Luke. Luke. Luke and Paul were, in my mind, colleagues, peers, friends on the level of a professional level. They had a lot in common. They were both writers. They were both educated. They were both well-traveled. And they walked a road together. Paul, in deference, calls him the doctor as a respect to him. These would have been the guys that when the room cleared out after the Bible study, they would have been the last two, perhaps, giving each other that knowing look of, you want to go, go out after this? Just you, you know, you, that, that, that kind of a relationship between these two. Who's that for you? And then you have Onesimus. Onesimus' life was a mess before he met Paul. And there's drama, by the way, in what Paul writes here about Onesimus, and I'll tell you that. Um, Onesimus was a former uh, slave uh, in, Coloss in Colossae who, who stole from his master and then ran away to Rome. That would be like running away from Cookville to New York City. 
That's what he did. Went underground. Well, Onesimus' master was Philemon. And Paul, as he was traveling through Colossae, preached the gospel to Philemon, and Philemon became a believer. And somewhere after that, Onesimus stole from him and ran away. You know where the church in Colossae met? Philemon's house. You know who brought the book of Colossians and Philemon to the church in Colossae, which met in Philemon's house? Onesimus. Which means there would have been a moment when there would have been a knock on the door. Hello. It's Philemon and Onesimus standing there face to face for the first time since Onesimus stole and ran away. And he has in his hands with Tychicus two notes. This is a letter from Paul to the church that meets here in this house. And this is a letter from Paul to you about me. Paul had this opportunity to receive Onesimus. You know, when Onesimus ran out of money, which is what happens when you run from Cookville to New York City, you run out of money. And that's what happens. And he was desperate and he needed help and he remembered there was this man, Paul, who I've heard is here, who helped Philemon, who I've hurt. I'm gonna go to him. And Paul leads him to Christ. And he tells Philemon, Onesimus, he's a son to me now. I just, I love him. He's an object of my affection. I'm like a father to him. And I want you to receive him back, but not as a slave, but as a brother. Because that's what he is. And I could go on and on because that story just gets better and better. But there's the moment, right? Onesimus is the one in your life who entered it with a past. But your roads converged and you walked. Maybe you are Onesimus. And you have a history. But now you have a mission that is trumping that history. And there's all a struggle that goes with it of trying to remember who you are as you walk. Am I the one that I was or am I who Christ has made me now? And Paul says of Onesimus, he's like my son. Who is your father or mother in the faith? Who are you father or mother in the faith to? Older brother, older sister, if you, would, if you like that better. Then you have Mark. Mark was Barnabas' cousin. First missionary journey. Paul has this great conversion experience, the call to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. He sets out on this missionary journey to start taking the gospel around Asia, around the Roman Empire. And he takes with him Barnabas and Mark. They get halfway through the journey and Mark says, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. I've had enough. I'm going to stop. And so he just leaves, he abandons. And Barnabas and Paul continue. They regroup at their home church. And they say, let's go do it again, let's go further. And Barnabas says, yeah, I'll call Mark. And Paul says, Mark's not coming with us. And Barnabas says, why not? He's my cousin. And he says, he's a quitter. I'm sorry, but he left us. He abandoned us. And he's not coming And the text says, I love it, there arose no small dispute between the two. That's a way of saying they had a big fight. And what happened? Paul and Barnabas, guess what? At the end of his life, somehow, and we don't know, Mark and Paul are walking the road together again. 
And we even see that it's still a complicated thing, right? Because what does Paul say about him? He says, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Mark. And then you have Demas. Oh, Demas. Get ready for this. Demas was on the front lines with Paul. He was all in. They were working together. Paul was in prison. Demas was bringing himself as an ally of the gospel and an ally of the one who is in prison because of the gospel. That's a dangerous thing to do, right? It's like putting a big bullseye on your chest and saying, I'm with him in prison, only I'm not in prison. Perhaps maybe he should be in prison, people think. Right? That's a line to walk. That's a risk. But he's all in But you know what we read at the end of 2 Timothy, which was written later? We read this. Paul says, Because he loved this world, Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Who's Demas? He's the friend who has yet to break your heart. And, and you have them in your life. And you are one. And yet, you look at the end of the epistle and what do you see? You see this mess of lives joined together by the Father Almighty for a common purpose to make his glory known throughout the world. Some of them are coming in with their pasts and they're finding redemption. Some of them are coming in like Mark peaceably enough, but then they're blowing up the relationships. Those people you know, you may be one, you may know them. The people who just can't seem to live in a healthy relationship. I have to blow this thing up somehow. I have to make it weird. I have to do something to fracture it. And you've got the peers, the people, the steady people who walk with you. Joe. And you've got the ones who are going to break your heart. And when it happens once or twice, you do start to think, I don't know if I'm going to do this anymore because this is awful. And yet, this is what the Lord builds. And this is how the epistle ends. And it's to a church, but it's from a man, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And it's the story of a mission and a life unfolding. And if you're a Christian, we walk this road together now, you know? We commune together. We were made to commune together.